it's that time It's taken almost four years But World Cup qualifying is here And I know for some people There might be some trauma Associated with World Cup qualifying But I have to tell you American soccer fans Don't be scared Don't be nervous Good times are ahead And they're about to start on Thursday U.S. men's national team takes on El Salvador And we will preview that match And we'll talk about World Cup qualifying in general September you have three qualifiers United States taking on El Salvador Canada And Honduras In this golden generation Dealing with a lot of expectations But I tell you what folks The talent is there The quality is there The depth is there And I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you If you're worried Or if you're not convinced I'm going to let the team do that Because that's their job Their job is to, to show you That they can do it And I think they've already started to do that As we saw this summer CONCACAF Nations League Beating Mexico CONCACAF Gold Cup Beating Mexico And now this young and talented team Heads down to Central America Where they prepare To get a lesson In what it is To play in CONCACAF And look, it's not going to be easy But this team has the quality to handle it. And I'm looking forward to it. I want to, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see how Greg Berhalter's team reacts and responds. And it's been interesting, I have to say, in the, in the past few days, just listening to interviews and listening to some of the storylines and some of the lines of questioning. And obviously, look, it's obvious that what happened last World Cup qualifying cycle is something to discuss. It's a talking point. But I just don't know how much people should expect this generation to care or to be affected by it. I mean, Gio Reyna is 18 years old. He was, what, 14 when, when Kuva happened? Weston McKinney was 18 back then. He wasn't watching World Cup qualifying back then. I actually asked him about that. I asked him if his recollections of past World Cup qualifiers, if he remembers watching any. He's like, no. I don't even watch sports, and I didn't watch the qualifiers. So I watch highlights. That's what he said. And I, I think that should put it into perspective for some people that maybe you're carrying that weight, that that the anxiety, the PTSD from the failed World Cup qualifying cycle, what happened in Trinidad and Tobago. And as someone who was there that, that day in Cuba, I can tell you it's, it's, it's not an easy moment to forget. It's not an easy situation to just erase from your memory, especially if you were there or especially if you were fully you know, committed, bought in as a fan and you had never even imagined missing the World Cup. A lot of, people, a lot of people's realities were shattered that day back in 2017. So it's understandable why there's some nerves, while there's some apprehension, and why, may, why and why some people may not be ready to completely buy it to the hype, may not be ready to ride the golden generation into a dominating era in in Concacaf. I get it. Everyone's a little worried now because of what happened last time. 
No one wants to, no one wants to be the victim of overconfidence. No one wants to uh, get their hopes up and have them crash. Well, some people don't. Some people are, are going to be afraid of that, especially after what happened four years ago. But I tell you what, this, this group, this, ge- this generation, the things they are doing in Europe, the, 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 the new heights they're reaching as a group, there's a reason to get excited, folks. And you're allowed to get excited. You're allowed to be confident and feel confident and believe. You're, you're allowed to believe that this group can do some special things. You're allowed to believe this group could dominate CONCACAF. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. And we'll find out on Thursday. First test, El Salvador. And this won't be an easy one. So Hugo Perez has done a great job with that program in terms of revitalizing it, in terms of injecting new blood, bringing in some new players, recruiting some new players, some, you know, obviously several American born and raised players that are in the mix now with El Salvador. We saw in the Gold Cup an El Salvador team that's dynamic, that's fearless, attack-minded. It's not a sit-back-and-counter type situation with Hugo Perez. His team, his team is coming at you. And at home, in front of what is expected to be a sold-out crowd of 29,000, at the Estadio Cuscatlan, they're coming for this U.S. team. And it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge for Greg Berhalter's team. And we all want to know, first question, biggest question, who starts for the U.S. against El Salvador? And Berhalter has any number of options. The first domino, though, is Christian Pulisic. Does he play? Does he make the trip down to El Salvador? He just recovered from COVID. He was asymptomatic. He had been vaccinated. So by all accounts, didn't have a rough time. He showed up. He, was, he showed up on Sunday. He was at the first training session on Monday. But remember now, he hasn't played in two weeks. He didn't train for 10 days as he was quarantined. So Greg Berhalter has a decision to make. Does he take Pulisic to El Salvador when maybe he's not at his sharpest, maybe not he's not at his, his fully fit status? Or does he leave him in Nashville, allow him to skip two extra flights because you're talking Nashville to El Salvador, back to Nashville? Or do you leave him in Nashville let him, uh, you know, train, you know, do the individual training, stay in Nashville, not do the travel, be ready for Canada on Sunday. So that, that that's, and that's a big question. But the good news is this U.S. team has options. If you think about that U.S. team four years ago, imagine that U.S. team four years ago without Christian Pulisic. If for some reason Christian Pulisic wasn't able to play. I mean, that team... Struggled as it is with Pulisic. They had no real options other than Pulisic. Here we are four years later. Pulisic might not play, but guess what? You have multiple options. You have multiple players who play in Europe and are playing well in Europe. Brendan Aronson, crushing it right now with Red Bull Salzburg. He scored in both legs of their Champions League playoff victory to secure their place in the round of six in, in the group stage. Conrad De La Fuente, 
finally kind of blossoming and, and showing all that quality that we've been expecting and been hearing about for all these years that he was in the Barcelona setup. Now he's at Marseille, starting every game, and looking dangerous, playing on the left wing, thriving in Ligue 1. He's got a pair of assists. He's creating chances. He he looks just hungry, and he's taking full advantage of the move, leaving Barcelona, moving to Marseille, taking that opportunity. And now here he is, another option to step in if you don't play Pulisic. So Berhalter's got some decisions, right? So obviously, if do you bring Pulisic or not? And... I mean, if if he is if he's close if he's anywhere close to one hundred percent, I say you bring him because this first match means so much. First match means so much, but again, we don't know how fit he is. We don't know where his what his testing looks like, what his levels are like. Only U.S. Soccer knows that. Only Berhalter and his staff know that. If he's not one hundred percent, you don't bring him. Why risk it? Let him stay, because I tell you, as much as. The first game, first impression is so important. The game against Canada is huge. And I'll tell you why. Because Canada, for me, is a top three talent type team. They're t- for me, if I'm, you're asking me, who do I see? Are the three teams qualifying automatically at a CONCACAF for the 2022 World Cup? I'm saying USA, Mexico, and Canada. This Canada team is that talented. They're strong. And don't and, and don't go by the Gold Cup team. And, th- and that Canada Gold Cup team was was good. But they didn't have Alfonso Davies. They didn't have Jonathan David. They're two best players. So they are going to be a handful in Nashville on Sunday. So I totally understand resting Pulisic or keep him, keeping him home in the U.S., and then going with an Aronson. I personally, I would go Aronson. And I know right now you have you have everyone kind of thirsty for, number one, Conrad De La Fuente being in the lineup. And number two, having Gio Reyna and or Brendan Aronson play, playing centrally, in central midfield, as opposed to in the wing roles that they've played for the U.S. And I can tell you right now, Gio Reyna, for my money, is going to play on the wing. I think in, you know, could the, will the time come that he plays centrally and that he settles into a central role? I think so. He can play there. As we've seen, he can be, he can be outstanding playing wide. He can be outstanding playing centrally. And I've covered this in recent episodes. Why in CONCACAF, maybe you're better off keeping Reina outside, keeping him out of that just mosh pit, that can that Concacaf midfields can be. I don't. I, maybe I need to remind some people. If you don't remember, Christian Pulisic's first trip down to Panama in the last World Cup qualifying cycle, when he got put into the blender by the Panamanian midfielders who just beat on him for 90, 80 plus minutes, and he took it, kept playing, set up a goal. But I can understand if Berhalter would want to keep Rain up. Out wide, put him in space, let him create things, let him let him be a threat. We saw in the Nations League, we saw him against Mexico, Giorena create out wide, take people on, dribble inside, combine. He you know, he has that freedom. It's not like he's a, a pure winger where he's just hugging the, the sideline. 
He spent, he's going to cut inside. He's going to, you know, switch wings. He's going to combine and, and shift into the middle. He has that freedom to operate. But I totally get it. I know people want to see Reyna in that central role. And I think he'll be there eventually. I think he absolutely will be there. I think that's, in terms of long-term, in terms of where he could be the most effective for this U.S. team, I think, yes, centrally could can be that. And probably should be that. But we're talking about this week, Thursday, in El Salvador. I see, I see Reyna wide. And I see Aronson wide. If you don't have Pulisic. So who starts in the middle if that's the case? Well, Weston McKinney's obviously one. Tyler Adams is obviously your defensive midfielder, but then you have that other spot. And I'm sure Berhalter is going to consider experience. I'm sure he's going to consider players that have been in this type of situation, in these type of matches, in, in CONCACAF. And I think he's going to start Sebastian Lejet. And I know some people are going to freak out. Because when it comes down to it, I'm sure there are plenty of people who say, listen, you start your best players, you start the European guys that are in good form, you start Reina, Aronson, De La Fuente, if you don't have Pulisic. You start those three, any combination, but those three, period. I get it. And I think that group, I think those guys could do great. But do I see Berhalter going with De La Fuente with limited international experience? Brendan Aronson, centrally not having played? And well, Reyna's going to start. We already—that's like the first name, one of the first names on on the sheet. But I can see Berhalter starting legit because of the experience. He's experienced. He's poised. I know there are fans who just don't rate him, who think he's an average player, who don't think he can make the difference. Am I? And I'm here to tell you that you know what? For me, he's someone who will not. Uh, shy away from what it will be an intense environment in El Salvador. And not to say any of the others will, but I think with his experience, I think Berhalter is going to want some experience in that attack, in that front five. He's going to want some experience. And I think Leggett will be that guy. Now, if he goes all, now Berhalter goes all young. If he goes Sergeant up top, if he goes Reina, Aronson, De La Fuente, and, and with McKinney, I mean, I think that'd be obviously an exciting group. And I would love to watch it. I'd love to see it. But do I think that's what he does? You got me on that one. I don't I don't see him doing it. I'm not sure De La Fuente starts this game. I think I see De La Fuente starting against Canada, actually. That makes to me, I think that, that one uh that happens there. And striker. Will it be Sergeant? Who's been limited to to, you know, Appearances off the bench for Norwich City. He did start in the Carabao Cup, scored two goals, showed he can find the net. Or do you go Jordan Pifak, who's been outstanding in August? He's played a ton. He's been scoring goals. He helped young boys, the Swiss champions, reach the Champions League group stage. Even though his second leg performance against uh, Fering Vidos wasn't the best, he missed the penalty. He, you know, he missed some chances there, but overall, he's been he's been in very good form in August. So that's the do you balance that? You have he's been playing more, but maybe you can argue that maybe Josh Sargent's is fresher of the, is the fresher of the two. So that I I think you go Sargent. I think Berhalter goes Sargent because he's his established guy. He's his established starter. He's he has more matches under his belt. 
with this group as a starter. So I think you're going to see Sargent. But I want to see I want to see Jordan, the artist formerly known as Sibachu, see what he can do. Sibachu. I want to see what PFOC can do, and I think he'll come off the bench. And I know a lot of, a lot of fans are going to say, well, wait a minute, what about Ricardo Pepe? Isn't it time for Ricardo Pepe? I would say slow down. Because as great as he's been, as outstanding as he's been, and he did it again this weekend. He scored two goals against Austin FC. FC Dallas rolled. But if this is his first experience with the senior team, first camp with the senior team, you're not going to start him. That's like not when you have other strikers. It's not going to happen. But do you play him? I think you play him against Canada. I can definitely see you playing him, playing him against Honduras. But I think this first match, you want him to to if he goes. Again, you're not traveling everyone necessarily. But if Pepe goes, you you want him to be there, experience it, take it all in. But does he have to get on the field? I think you go Sergeant and PFOC as your two. And then I see him playing more of a role in the second and third games of this three-game window. And I know that's going to bother some people and, and, and upset some people who, who will look at it and say, man, you know, here he is. He commits to the United States. He, he turns down Mexico. And, and now you're going to, you know, not show him love. Like, it's, it's not about that. Folks, this is World Cup qualifying. World Cup's on the line. Every point counts. Every match counts. You, it, it, this isn't the, you know, show someone around moment. This is the it's down to business moment. And I, none of that is to say that R- Ricardo Pepe couldn't do a job. It's not like I think if you threw him out there, he'd totally crap the bed and just not be ready and just shaking his boots. He's super confident. He's in form. You know, he's feeling himself right now, living his best life. But he's going to have to wait. You have these other strikers, and I think those guys will get the opportunity against El Salvador. Uh, and as far as defensively, uh, Miles Robinson and, and John Brooks, those are your center backs for my money. Mark McKenzie hasn't been playing for Gank, not much. Walker Zimmerman, you know he's got he's a veteran, but look, Miles Robinson was unbelievable in the Gold Cup. He's an outstanding, you know, one on one defender, and I think he forms a perfect partnership with John Brooks in a back four. I know people have talked about, oh, wait a minute, are they going to play a back five? Personally, I think you go four three three. That's your number one setup. That's Berhalter's number one setup. And I think against El Salvador, even though you're on the road, against El Salvador, you go with your number one setup. Your, your number one system, your number one formation. So I see 4 3 3, Brooks, Miles Robinson, Serginio Dest at right back, and Anthony Robinson at left back. And I know some people will say, wait a minute, Anthony Robinson? I thought Berhalter doesn't like Anthony Robinson, doesn't rate him. That's old news, folks, because I tell you, Anthony Robinson did what he had to do. Continued to play well, take the opportunity when it came, and that opportunity came with Nations League, with the, with the Costa Rica friendly after that. I believe he showed Berhalter that he's someone that can be counted on as a left-back option. And now he's playing great for Fulham. Fulham's off to a great start. They're, they're Right now, Fulham's in first place in the league championship. And Robinson just scored his first goal. And he's been playing great. So he's in good form. And you want to take advantage of that, play him at left back, keep Sergio Desert right back, his natural position. And you're going to need those guys to play well. Because El Salvador can definitely be a threat on the wing. 
they're gonna they like to you know send their fullbacks forward. Alex Roldan, if he plays that right back for El Salvador, he's going to be a threat getting forward. You have Joshua Perez probably working right wings as well. He's dangerous getting forward on the wings. So Robinson and Dest are going to have their hands full defensively, but they're also going to have that opportunity to get forward and try to take advantage of El Salvador's uh, aggressiveness. They're, El Salvador is going to be offensively aggressive. They're going to they're going to be they're going to throw numbers forward. I believe that. I don't think they're going to sit back. We saw in the Gold Cup against Mexico, an El Salvador team. Hugo Perez wants his team to be proactive. He wants his team to be confident, to be willing to go after anybody and play their soccer and not be not play with fear, not play sitting back, not playing to playing for the draw. He wants to score goals. He wants his team to believe that they can score goals. So they're going to they're going to come at the U.S. and the U.S. has to take advantage of that and punish that. We saw Qatar against El Salvador in the quarterfinals. Qatar put three on El Salvador, three goals and a 3-2 win. So you can score on El Salvador. That, to be fair, to be clear, you can score on them. And for those who missed that El Salvador-Mexico game where El Salvador looked so great, El Salvador's goalkeeper made a handful of really good saves because Mexico absolutely could have you know, put some goals on them. So it's going to be up to Robinson and Dest to get forward. Reyna's going to do his thing. And for me, I think Reyna, this game has Giorena written all over it. I think Giorena is, you know, we're talking a goal to assists type performance from him, potentially. And maybe they don't light it up to that degree. But if the U.S. wins this game, Giorena will be man of the match for me. I mean, you, you could maybe argue someone like John Brooks. If John Brooks is dominant, maybe scores a header goal or something like that. You could see a John Brooks. But for me, this game for me has Giorena written all over it, especially if Pulisic isn't there. We've seen Giorena step up in big moments. We've seen him rise to the occasion when it's, you know, it's like he's not 18. Like in his, like his mentality and his mindset, he does not have, he, he's not a kid. He is, you know, he's a grown man. He has that fearlessness to him. And I think he's going to take full advantage. He's going to see the sold out crowd in, in San Salvador and he's going to be up for it. And El Salvador is not going to be able to stop him. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to see what happens there. One other question is who starts in goal? And I know some people say, wait a minute, Zach Steffen's the guy. He's number one. No question. Just because he's not playing at Manchester City. It's Manchester City. Like, you don't just, uh, you know, he's playing for one of the best teams in the world. He's not, he's not the starter, but you don't forget that he's a quality goalkeeper. I totally get that. And I'm all for him starting. But Matt Turner is is on, is on a run. Matt Turner is playing really well, even though he just lost his first, has suffered his first loss in what, three months? It's been, it feels like it's been a long time. But my question is, not so much who starts against El Salvador, because I think Stefan will start. But when will Matt Turner start? I don't think Zach Stefan start in all three of these games. So do you put Matt Turner in against El Salvador? He's in form, he's been playing He's in a rhythm. Or do you go Stefan, who has the experience edge, who's played more matches with, with these guys, with, with, you know, with John Brooks, with Dest. He's played more matches with that group. It's not an easy one. It's not easy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not an automatic. But I think you're going to see Stefan. And then the question becomes, is, do you go Stefan or Turner against Canada? And I th- I, for me personally, I think you have. I think you're going to see Turner start one of these matches, at least one. 
Probably one. But I think you're going to see Stefan against El Salvador. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he, what he can and can do. Because even though he's not starting regularly for Man City, he's still a top-notch goalkeeper. So we'll see. We'll see how he does. And El Salvador, I got to tell you, they're they going to... I've spent the last few days just really deep diving into El Salvador and their storylines and their players. And, and it's an interesting group. And it's a new group. As young as this U.S. team is... And as little experience as this U.S. team has in terms of World Cup qualifying, this El Salvador team is not a veteran team either. To be clear, so many new faces. I want to say half the squad had never even, maybe it's not half, but close to half the team hadn't even had a cap uh, at the beginning of 2021. Nearly half of this group is part of the Hugo Perez revolution. He brought in new center backs. He brought in new goalkeeper. He was, for those who don't remember, Hugo Perez was the El Salvador U23 coach. So when they made the change and they made him the coach, he already had that relationship with that U23 group and he he promoted those, uh, not the whole team obviously, but he promoted the center backs, the goalkeeper, a handful of players and gave them all their first caps. He went and, and you know recruited someone like Eric Zavaleta. He got Eric Zavaleta to play for El Salvador. Zavaleta's father, is a is Salvadoran for those who don't know the whole story and wondered how did Eric Zavaleta, American boy, blonde blue blonde hair blue eye maybe he's not blonde I don't know but you know blue eyed boy El Salvador but yes his father's from El Salvador so you know maybe people didn't realize that they just know him as Greg Vanny's nephew but you have him you have Joaquin uh, Rivas uh, who grew up in Las Vegas but was born in El Salvador you have Josh. Perez, obviously, the the former U.S. under-17 player. And it's a little crazy if you think about it. Josh Perez was on the 2015 under-17 World Cup team. That included Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams. And now he's on the other side, and he's going to be a starter key player for that El Salvador team. So they have some weapons. Rivas is a solid striker. Although Miles Robinson, you'd like to think in that matchup one-on-one, you'd like to think Robinson can handle Joaquin Rivas. But you also have Jairo Enriquez from City Aguila, the winger, who's, who showed really well in the Gold Cup. You have Josh Perez, who showed really well in the Gold Cup. You have Alex Roldan, obviously, the Seattle Sounders uh, uh, fullback slash Christian Roldan's brother. That's another storyline in this one. Because, you know, not that, you know, I don't know if Christian Roldan's going to play in this game or he's not, I don't know if he's going to start in this game, but the whole Roldan versus Roldan, the brothers on opposite sides storyline is, uh, is, is a fun one and an interesting one. And, and, you know, I'd say when you watch, if, if, and when, if you watch the broadcast and I'd imagine you're going to watch the broadcast on uh, CBS uh, sports network and Paramount plus there's a pretty good segment uh, on the brothers that you should definitely look out for. But El Salvador has some weapons. So, you know, U.S. is going to have to be on their toes, avoid the early mistakes, settle into a rhythm, not get caught up. The great thing is, as young as this team is, they've all played in these big, they've all played in big games. All of them. Even though, you know, what, even though Jaren is 18, Brendan Aronson's, you know, what, 20 now, 19, 20. All these guys are 18 to 21 years old, right? And five, 10 years ago, 18 to 21 year old American players didn't have much experience. Now, these guys have one to two years playing at top-level leagues. They've played in derbies. They've played in cup finals. 
So none of them should be overwhelmed as as great and as intense as the atmosphere is going to be in El Salvador. None of these guys should be overwhelmed. All of these players have played in big, equally big matches in intense atmospheres. Even obviously before the pandemic, everything, you know, in the last year and a half, obviously the pandemic has changed things. But all these guys have experience playing in big matches. So that's why I, I am, you know, I'm bullish on the U.S. winning this game as much as you have to respect El Salvador. You have to respect Hugo Perez and what he's trying to do with this team. And you have to respect the fact that they are going to try to throw the first punch. They are going to attack. And that's great. That's going to set up for a fun game, hopefully. Hopefully it's a fun game back and forth. I know U.S. fans are like, no, we don't want fun. We want three or four U.S. goals, comfortable win. We don't need any 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 craziness. I get it. But I think it's going to be an entertaining match for sure. And once again, the U.S. takes on El Salvador. That is on Thursday, 10.05 p.m. Eastern time. Late kickoff there in San Salvador. The match is on CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus as well as Universo. Uh, and how great is that, by the way, the fact that we've seen in past cycles where you, you, you'd have to go like watch pay-per-view, you'd have to go to a bar to, to, to even see World Cup qualifiers. And the good news is that this time around, CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus have the rights to all the qualifiers that are being played outside the United States. So if you don't have Paramount Plus yet, go get Paramount Plus because you're going to want to have it. Not only for the U.S. games, but any qualifier you're going to want to see. You want to watch Mexico play. You want to scout the future opponents. You want to watch Canada. Uh, you know, get a look ahead. By all means, get it. I should. I really should have a promo code. I'm working on that. Next episode, I'll have a promo code for for Paramount Plus. And for those who don't know, haven't already caught on or didn't listen, didn't hear in the last episode, I'm actually working with. Uh, CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus on their broadcast behind the scenes role, working with uh, the crew there, working with the uh, the talent there. Clint Dempsey is back after his outstanding uh, debut TV debut at the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, he's he's back with Aguchi Onyewu, Marisa Du, Charlie Davies, uh, Kate Abdo, that whole crew. Uh, will be in New York City. Uh, Unfortunately, I will not be in El Salvador and I will not be in Nashville. Uh, I'll be in New York City at the studio working on these matches. And uh, it should be good. It should be a good broadcast. And, uh, you know, again, if you don't have it yet, make sure you go get Paramount Plus. You don't want to be on Thursday trying to figure things out. And just as a reminder, the other matches taking place on opening night in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, you have Canada hosting Honduras, which I think is fitting that Canada returns to the final round of CONCACAF qualifying for the first time in in a long time. The 1998 World Cup qualifying cycles. Last time Canada made it to the final round of of the CONCACAF qualifying round. And they face Honduras, the same team that kept Canada out of the final round of qualifying. I want to say the last two cycles. So fitting there. Then you have Mexico, Jamaica, and Mexico's getting over on this one. And I'll tell you why Jamaica, for those who don't know, has quite a few English based players, England based players on their squad. Obviously the, the teams in England don't want their players to go play uh, qualifiers in countries that are on the quote unquote red list, which, which are countries that, that have high, uh, COVID rates, Mexico is one of those countries. So Jamaica's England-based contingent is not going to face Mexico. So 
Lucky for Mexico, they get to face a shorthanded Jamaica, although Andre Blake will be there. And if you have Andre Blake in goal, you have a chance. So we'll see what Mexico does there. And then you have, obviously, Panama hosting Costa Rica. That's another one. And uh, th- those are the four matches uh, in the octagonal, Panama-Costa Rica. That's an interesting one to watch. because For me, I'm picking Panama to finish last in the group. So if you're Costa Rica, you want to get, you want to try to win in Panama, start things off right. Kaylor Navas is with Costa Rica, by the way, and that's that's obviously huge for them to have him back. As much as uh, Leonel Moreira did a really good job in the in the Concacaf Nations League in place of Kaylor Navas, but if you can have one of the best goalkeepers in the world, it, it's a plus. So we'll see what happens there. And again, all these matches available on Paramount Plus. Uh, and uh, CBS Sports Network will be providing all that coverage there. Moving on, Americans abroad. And I know everyone wants to talk about World Cup qualifying, but how about the week we saw in the transfer market? Obviously, the transfer deadline was on Tuesday, and you had handful a handful of Americans make moves, a handful of Americans not make moves, which you know in some cases was good, some cases not good. And uh, I think that you have to start with Weston McKinney, who did not move. And I know there was a lot of talk about him leaving Juventus, about Juventus wanting to get rid of him. Massimiliano Allegri, supposedly not a fan. Now, Allegri did come out last week and say, no, we want to keep him. He, you know, we like we have no intention of getting rid of him. And I, and then he turned around and he starts McKinney in 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 the match in the weekend. Obviously, he took him out at halftime. So that wasn't great. But the fact is, it does seem like at least that Allegri is, you know, he sees McKinney as part of his plan. So that's good news. Um, and it's also it also means Champions League, West McKinney will, you know, all things go well, will once again play a role in Champions League. And it means uh, that as of right now, you have 11 Americans slated to be on rosters for the, for the UEFA Champions League group stage. And I know the number was 12, but it's now only 11. And that's because Chris Richards has joined Hoffenheim on a season-long loan. He's returning to Hoffenheim. That's the team he played for last season. He spent the second half of last season with them, started 11 matches, played really well for them. And at the end of the day, he had to get out of Bayern, or he had to leave Bayern this season because it wasn't looking good for him. It was not looking good for him to get playing time. I think it was very telling when Dayo Upamecano came out of Bayern's most recent match, and then they turned to a 19-year-old friend center back, outstanding prospect, who stepped in ahead of Chris Richards. And that right there, that tell, that let you know that, look, Chris Richards, at best, was looking at being the fourth center back, if not fifth center back option for Bayern Munich. So if you're Chris Richards, like, no, heck no, I don't want to be the fifth guy. It's all well and good to be at Bayern and be on the bench. Like, I've done that, been there, done that. I want to play. I need games. Chris Richards, he needs games. He needs to continue to develop. And if he wants to really make a push to be a part of, Greg Berhalter's World Cup qualifying plans, he needs to be playing regularly at center back. So that's it's a great, great move for him to go to Hoffenheim. He's going to play for a manager that knows him well, Sebastian Honus, who obviously they have, you know, real history together. So it takes it, it all the boxes. So that's great. That was one of the great developments of Tuesday's deadline. And then you also had Matthew Hoppy joins Mallorca, the newly promoted La Liga side. The, the team that counts Stuart Holden and Steve Nash amongst amongst its uh, part part owners, and uh, Schalke Schalke had an ex- interesting experience because off the Gold Cup, we all know Hoppy played well in the Gold Cup, 
Shaka was counting the money. Shaka was like, oh, here we go. Nine million. Give us nine, ten, you know, nine, ten million dollars. Matthew Hobby looked great. Everyone wants him. And then no, and then crickets. No, no one was paying nine million for Hoppy. Then it went down to seven, eight, six, seven, five. Six. The the prices were dropping on Matthew Hoppy. And by the end, uh, they had to settle on Mallorca. We haven't seen what the fee is on that, but it's probably closer to two to two to three million. Which at the end of the day, it's irrelevant. What matters is he's joining a Mallorca side that's promoted to La Liga. He's going to have the chance to play in La Liga, and Mallorca is actually off to a really good start. They're, uh, they've they've got seven points from their first three matches, so it's a it's a good situation there that he's joining. And you'd like to think that if they're spending the money to bring him in, they're gonna they're gonna give him an opportunity to play. So that that's great. And and guess what? La Liga. All of a sudden, you're talking four Americans, four U.S. national team players in La Liga. You have Serginho Dest at Barcelona, Yunus Musa at Valencia, Matt Miazga at Alaves, and now you have. Matthew Hoppy at Mallorca. Another player who made a move, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Another loan. Stop if you've heard it before. Cameron Carter-Vickers joining Scottish powerhouse Celtic on loan. And obviously Celtic had been linked to Carter-Vickers quite a bit throughout the cycle. There were, you know, Newcastle was linked. There were a long list of teams that had been connected to a move for Carter-Vickers. And there was that point in time when you thought, oh, maybe, maybe Nuno would give him a chance. Maybe Nuno would uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, Tottenham's new manager, would give him the opportunity. He did give him a chance to start, I believe, in the Europa League conference match. Then he then he hurt his ankle, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that he hasn't really had the chance to be part of the first team setup there. He has he's had to go on this revolving door of loans, and I know it's got to be frustrating. But you know what? This is going to be a little different. He spent the last few years playing in the league championship for any number of teams, most recently Bournemouth. Now he's going to the to the Scottish Premier League. Obviously, the Scottish Premier League is not at the same level as far as the league goes, but Celtic is Celtic, and there's going to be opportunity to play in Europe there. And if he has a good season there, you'd like to think he can finally secure a transfer away from Tottenham. It's time. It's time to go. It's time to find a new club, find a new, you know, get a fresh start. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can find that. But hopefully, again, he gets the games, plays well. And then maybe we'll see Cameron Carter-Vickers have a chance to be in the picture for the men's national team. Although you wonder with the number of players in that mix right now, how realistic a chance Carter-Vickers has to break in. Because it's it's a deep pool when you talk about center back. John Brooks, Miles Robinson, Mark McKenzie, James Sands now. Chris Richards, obviously. Matt Miazga's at Alavez now. You've got, I mean, right there off the bat, I'm like a half dozen. And that's not, you know, Walker Zimmerman. You're not talking about him. Um, so Connor Vickers is, is behind the eight ball a little bit. But hopefully he can make the most of this Celtic move. Now, one player who did not make a move at the transfer deadline, who was hoping to make a move, uh, who I know was desperate to make a move, was Reggie Cannon. And unfortunately for him, he was not able to complete a move at the deadline. He wanted out. And Boavista is obviously in a messy situation. They're they're facing a transfer ban. It's going to be a rough year for Boavista. And Reggie Cannon, he was looking to get out. And unfortunately, uh, my understanding is there was a, a move for him in England that was pretty close. It came right down to the wire at the deadline, but the deadline came and went and the deal was not done. And unfortunately for him now, he's going to stay in Portugal and just have to fight it out and ride it out and continue to you know put together another strong season. And hopefully, whether it's in January or hopefully it's next summer, he can find a move to a club that he wants to go to. It's unfortunate because 
obviously he had a really good first season at Boavista. Things have not been great there. And there was interest in him. There was interest in him from England, from uh, Serie A, uh, Belgium. There there were quite a few teams that were interested in his services. Boavista did not make things easy. And at the end of the day, everything fell fell through at the end, including my understanding is there was a very good opportunity in England. Didn't happen. And now he has to face the music. And guess what? Reggie Cannon's facing a bit of a very difficult situation with the men's national team because of the right back position and the depth there. When you talk about Serginio Dest, obviously, uh, Brian Reynolds, although Brian Reynolds isn't exactly getting a ton of time at Roma or any, really. Um, but you have quite a few right back options there. Shaq Moore, although he's still not back in the lineup for Tenerife in Spain. You have DeAndre Yedlin, who stayed at Galatasaray, by the way, despite all the talk and reports and rumors about him being on the way out of there. He's still there. Quite a few right-back options there. Uh, Henry Wingo at Fedek Vados. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of right-backs in the pool. And if you're Reggie Cannon, I know you didn't want to stay at, at Bovista, but you got to make the most of it now. Make sure you're continuing to play regularly, because otherwise, if you're not, you will not be part of the World Cup qualifying setup. Obviously, he's not a part of it now because he hasn't been playing, but we know Greg Berhalter's a fan. We know that if he's playing, Berhalter will bring him in. But he's got to be playing. Uh, moving on, we're going to wrap things up with the MLS, uh, a few MLS news and notes. Uh, obviously, the, it was a big weekend, rivalry week. Uh, you had the Portland Timbers pulling off the, I don't even want to say it's a shocker, because when you're talking about the Derby, is it ever really a shock if one side wins or not? Obviously, the Sounders, Seattle Sounders, are in. they were coming in on a roll. They're playing in Seattle, big crowd. At Lumen Field, Portland Timbers had been in a rough shape. They, they, you know, they'd had a really terrible run of results. And what happens? Of course, the Timbers beat the Sounders. Sebastian Blanco scoring on his return in the same stadium where he tore his ACL. Talk about just storybook situation. Great victory for Portland. Timbers, they needed it. They absolutely needed it. Uh, there was already starting to be the talk about, is it time for a coaching change? Gio Savarese, you know, they should be doing better. You were starting to hear all that. So great win for him. And especially with now you're starting to see coaches, uh, you know, get the boot. And, you know, you wonder, would he be next? But they get the win. And, you know, if you're Portland, hopefully you can build on that and start to gain the momentum. There was obviously some bittersweet news in the whole thing. Eric Williamson suffered a torn ACL early in that one. And that's obviously gut-wrenching, heartbreaking news. For a player who was so good in the Gold Cup for me, and who actually, after the Gold Cup, you'd, you'd like to think was probably sizing up a move to Europe, or ideally would have liked to have gone to Europe, didn't work out, but he was, you know, poised to, you know, continue to build on on the momentum from the Gold Cup. Unfortunately, my understanding is he came down with COVID, so obviously he was sidelined for a bit. He comes back, tears his ACL, he's done for the year. Uh, that's heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff. But we wish him a speedy recovery, outstanding player, and, and I still think that you know he's got a bright future. Now he just has to, you know, deal with this setback. Uh, and it's you know, what can you say? But Portland, congrats to them, big win for them. Seattle, I'm sure they'll be fine. They'll recover from that. Uh, moving on, another big performance, NYCFC with the big win at home against New England, stopping New England's unbeaten run. New England is still look; they, they've got a big cushion at the top of the Supporters Shield race, at the top of the Eastern Conference. But if you're NYCFC, the way they've been playing, uh, the attack that they have, they're a fun team to watch. NYCFC, and with Tata, Tati Casignano's playing the way he's playing, I mean, 
I don't know who wants to play NYCFC in the playoffs. I can tell you that right now. Great win for them. Just continue continuing to build confidence as a group. Ronnie Dyla is doing a great job. And, and you got to give credit to NYCFC. Obviously, they've dealt with a lot of things in recent years. But they've continued to put out a, a fun team to watch, a strong team. And they're right there. They're absolutely a title contender. Up next, DC United beat the Philadelphia Union. In D.C., uh, I got to give D.C. credit for that one because that's uh, that's an impressive victory. Uh, the Union, I know they you get a, you, they got some questions, uh, they got some issues going on right now, but still, Philly's a tough team, so you beat them, you get credit for that one. Nashville SC defeats Atlanta United, spoils Gonzalo Pineda's Atlanta United managerial debut, but credit to Nashville SC, they got the job done. Big win for them. Chicago Fire beat the New York Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena. And in case you were wondering, yes, that is the Fire's first win on the road. And I got to say, I'm not surprised because I feel like the Fire have been playing well for the past month or two. And the one thing that had been missing is a good performance on the road. And they got it. They beat the Red Bulls. You got some questions about the Red Bulls, right? Obviously, they're a team that a lot of young talent. It's about developing the talent. But are they really a contender? And Gerhard Struber, you know, you, you want to see some more results. You want to see some better results. The results need to get better. It's all well and good if the young players are playing, if the young players are developing. Obviously, that's part of the mission, but you need to get wins also. And especially when NYCFC is crushing it in the market, you, you don't want to be lagging so far behind, especially in the standing. So Red Bulls, they, they need to get it together, period. And, and last, we'll wrap it up with FC Dallas trouncing Austin FC. The Pepe, the Ricardo Pepe, Jesus Ferreira show, uh, two goals each. Pepe with two goals and an assist, and they just roll. Austin FC, obviously, rough, rough uh, expansion year for them. They, they show glimpses at times, and they can be fun to watch at times, but they are very much not one of those expansion teams that has been a, had a strong first season. But FC Dallas, Bucci Gonzalez has FC Dallas playing better now. Obviously, Pepe being in the form that he's in, that's huge. I'm sure on some level, Luchi Gonzalez is like, why does this international break come now? We're, we're starting to feel ourselves. We're starting to be in a rhythm. But still, that's great to see, especially considering how much young talent FC Dallas is playing. You like to see a team be rewarded for playing young talent and see that young talent thrive. And FC Dallas is starting to do that, starting to see that. Which is great because it hadn't been like that. They, you know, they had their stretches where the results weren't there, but now they're starting to see them. And Ricardo Pepe, with the way he's playing, I mean, you know, I think they can put put up goals against anybody. But I, I think that is it. That I think that's going to wrap up this episode of the SBI show. We obviously, you know, previewed the U.S. El Salvador match in depth. Uh, we covered the Americans abroad transfer market. So much going on there. I'm sure there's a lot I would like to have gotten into, but you know, it's it's a it's a crazy busy week uh, for me over here. Uh, I know I said last episode I was hoping to get three episodes in this week. It was ambitious. I get it. It was ambitious. Uh, but then I quickly realized, you know what, let's just do this one episode. We can we can cover the weekend, but we can preview the upcoming qualifier. And we'll be back on Friday talking El, U.S. El Salvador, uh, see how things went, and we'll break it all down. We'll see, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be talking about a U.S. victory. Uh, but I think all said and done, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun match. It's going to be a great match. And, uh, you know, 10 p.m., get your coffee ready. And as I said before, get your Paramount Plus subscription in order because you don't want to have anything happen on that night because it's going to be a it's going to be a good night i think it's going to be a good night but i think that's it i think we've covered it all as i always say if you have any um, feedback or if you want to you know share your thoughts on the show what you'd like to see what you'd like to hear uh, one thing I, I i will say and i've i've 
teased it a few times now on, on the show. Um, the David Ochoa interview that I did before the pandemic, um, that because of the pandemic, I never did anything with it. I found it. I dug it up. I actually have the video of it. I'm going to play that interview. One of these episodes, obviously right now, the emphasis is the focus is on work qualifying. I don't want to be get into the weeds about the whole David Ochoa thing, but I do want to play it because it is interesting uh, just to get hear his perspective on things and how how in the context of now and everything that's happened. I think it's interesting and something to keep an eye out for. So I'll I'll put it out there. So stay tuned for that uh, as well. And as I've been saying now, we will get guests soon enough. Um with World Cup qualifying going on, there's plenty to talk about, and hopefully we'll get some guests to, to join me to, to break those down as well. So stay tuned for that. So come back on Friday. We'll have it all broken down, and we'll be looking ahead, obviously, to the weekend in MLS. I don't even know how much MLS action there is because of the international break. But actually, next episode is probably going to be all U.S. El Salvador as well as previewing U.S. Canada. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarset. This is... The SBI Show.